Thank you, Joyce. And good morning to everyone, and a special shout out to the purple team. I asked if I could uh, speak in the gym, because I am purple, and uh, I got to be here. They can take us out of the gym, but they can't take purple out of us. I'm wearing purple today, and so here we are. Last week, the green team impressed us. They shouted so loud that we could hear them through double doors. And I just want to humbly say that the purple team can match anything the green team can do. And so we're going to give them a chance to shout this morning. I'm going to do a countdown to three, and we're going to listen very quietly, and we're going to hear you through the double doors on three. One, two, three. (laughs) Very impressive. Very impressive. That was not staged. That was not planned. Thank you. Thank you. This fall, we have been working through our Radical Community Series, and uh, today we like to focus on the importance of the praying community. And to set the stage for our topic, I would like you to imagine that you are hungry, and you find a vending machine. You take your toonie out of your pocket, you put it in the slot, you punch in the number, and you watch for that snack to move. It does not move. You take your hand and you tap the side. It does not move. You take both hands and you tap the sides. You give it a shake. You give it a karate kick. And nothing moves. And you walk away hungry, with no money, and you're frustrated. And that's often what our prayer looks like. And the problem is not that God doesn't hear us or that he doesn't care for us. The problem is that God is not a vending machine. And when, when it comes to prayer, we have often gone to the wrong box. We should have taken our toonie because prayer does cost something, and we should have gone to the phone booth, and we should have picked up the phone to talk and commune with God. In our union with God, we get to know his heart and direction for our lives. Prayer is a soul thing. It's uh, not about reducing God to a vending machine. It's not about me doing this and he doing that. Uh, We are connecting with our creator when we are praying. The psalmist says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? In prayer, we express our desire. We express the desire of our soul. We express our thirst for God. We express our desperation for God. We are longing for his presence and activity in our life. And just like a deer continually needs water, we continually need God in our life. So here's a question. If I just enjoyed lunch and I feel fine... Do I need a vending machine? And the answer is no. Follow-up question. If I'm not experiencing a major crisis, and I'm A-OK, and the people around me are A-OK, do I need to pray? Thank you. The response to that question tells me what I think of prayer. If my concept of God is a vending machine 
it will feel unnecessary to pray. But there is more to us than whether we feel A-OK. Our soul is created for harmony with God. And according to the Bible, for the follower of Jesus, prayer will be a priority. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer. What does this look like in a radical community? A community that desires to live all for Christ. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And before we get into this topic, I want to recognize that there are a variety of responses. There are a variety of feelings and reactions when we say prayer. And uh, if we could put us into groups, we would have uh, more than the four colors. Uh, we, would, we would have a number of different groups. Uh, there might be one group in this, in this uh, um, uh, building that's, uh, that's thinking prayer. I've pretty much got that. I probably didn't need to hear another prayer sermon this morning. I don't think there's a lot of room where I can grow in the area of prayer. That's group one. In fact, if you're in group one, I'm going to invite you to the stage, and I'm going to put these guys on you, and I'm going to sit in the pew and listen to you, because I'm not, confession time, I'm not in group one. In fact, just putting some preparation into this talk this morning was very, very refreshing for me. Uh, Group number two, uh, when you hear the word uh, devote and prayer in the same sentence, you might think, yeah, I need some more encouragement in this area. I'm glad I'm here. Kind of like last last week, Godfrey was talking about generosity, and we know how sticky money can get. It starts to stick to your hands, and when it sticks to your hands, it sticks to your soul. And so we need reminders often about generosity. We need to lose that stickiness. And this morning, you might be thinking, I'm in, I'm in group number two. I probably need another reminder of prayer. Or maybe you're in group number three. As soon as you hear vending machine and prayer in the same sentence, you feel guilty. Or maybe you're in group number four. Uh, you're, you're skeptical. You're thinking, uh, do we still make phone booths? I wouldn't even know where to find a phone booth. And even if I could find a phone booth... Uh, and I picked up the phone, does God have called display? Because if he can see all things, I'm not sure he would want to hear my voice. I'm not sure he even listens to me. And there's group five, group six, group seven. But wherever we are today, uh, God's word meets us where we're at. And so we are going to look into his word. But first, let's pick up the phone and let's communicate with God our Father. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful that you invite us into a relationship with you. And Lord, I need your help this morning, as well as everybody else. And so, Lord, we come before you in humbleness. Uh, Lord, we are aware that in your word, we see many things that we don't understand. We are aware that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and we are praying that you will um, reveal truth to us. And we are, uh, uh, we are fully aware that um, uh, the things that um, uh, you do not give us, all the things we need for intellectual satisfaction. But we're thankful, Lord, that you give us everything we need to know to obey you in faith. And that's exactly what we're looking for this morning. And so, Lord, we pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
And so if you've closed your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible again to Acts 4. And uh, as you're opening the Bible, perhaps you do this every time, you just remind yourself that this is the Word of God. The Bible is one beautiful redemption story from cover to cover about God drawing us, God drawing humanity to himself. There's 66 books in the Bible, so as we turn to Acts, you might be reminding yourself that we are talking about the, some people described Acts as the actions of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and again, just to give us a, a little uh, background uh, to uh, Acts uh, in the first few, uh, first few chapters, just to give us some context, Acts starts off with the ascension of Christ. And so Jesus has died, he has rose again, and over a period of 40 days, he appears to different groups of people. And then at the end of the 40 days, he ascends into heaven. And before he ascends, he says the Holy Spirit will come. And so the uh, 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 people of Jerusalem, they pray. And that's a, a good reminder for us this morning. They pray, they pray. The Bible says in, in uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, they all join together constantly in prayer. And again, this is important. In the hours and days after Jesus ascended into heaven, this wasn't business as usual for them. They prayed. They didn't say Jesus is gone. We don't see him. Therefore, we don't know if he exists. They prayed. And as promised, the Holy Spirit showed up in a dramatic way, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we get to Acts 3, and in Acts 3, Peter and John perform a miracle. They encounter a man in the temple. He's been lame. He's never walked a day in his life, and uh, they don't have silver and gold. They don't have a handout that they can give this man, but what they give is even better. They say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man, who had never walked a day in his life, stood up and walked. He's filled with joy. He's praising God. And as you can imagine, a crowd is starting to gather around Peter and John. And Peter is telling them that this is not by our strength. This is through the name of Jesus Christ. He's telling them to repent. He's talking to them. And as he's talking to this group, there's another group of people coming this way. We've got the priests. We've got the temple, the, the, the captain of the temple guard. We've got the Sadducees, and they're moving this way. And you can see the crowd. They're kind of maybe looking over. Who's, who's coming over here? Well, this is going to be interesting. Because for this group of people, the name Jesus was not an emotionally neutral name. And we understand what we mean by emotionally neutral, right? Like some names uh, you, you haven't heard of before. You hardly know a person. The name is emotionally. You can say the name, and it means nothing. Other names there's feeling, there's emotion, maybe good or bad. But for Jesus' name, there would have been some negative emotion. They've been trying to silence Jesus for a long time. So they're moving on. Peter and John, preaching, preaching, group of people. They move. Sure enough, they come and they take Peter and John and they put him in prison. The next day, they bring Peter and John before the, uh, the, the Supreme Court and Peter gets up and talks. He's an uneducated man, but he has a wow factor. And the people are taking note that this person has been with Jesus. What do we do 
with this person who has a wow factor. We've already got followers of Jesus. They don't know what to do. And they say, don't speak in the name of Jesus. We do not want to hear this name again. And so they make some threats, and Peter and John walk. So there are three things that I want us to look at in this uh, passage. Um, uh, Understand that the authorities are now plotting the demise of the followers of Jesus. We have the church experiencing persecution for the very first time. Peter and John are walking, but they're walking on a very tight leash. And so these are the three things. This praying community, they prayed together. This praying community in their prayers worshiped together. Their praying community served together. So those are the three things that we're going to be looking at as we look into this uh, prayer. And, but first of all, let's read uh, verse 23. And again, uh, you can keep your finger tethered to this chapter. This is where we're going to be for the rest of our, our time. Verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Wouldn't you have loved to be a fly on the wall or on the shoulder of Peter and John as they're walking back, debriefing the experience that they have just had? The healing, the prison, the Supreme Court, now they're walking back. What were they saying? It had to be a deja vu for them. It had to be a deja vu where we've got Jesus who experienced the same tension with the authorities, but now instead of Jesus being in the hot spot, John and Peter are in the hot spot. It had to be maybe concerning for them as they thought about their future. How will this church respond to the first threat? Their first threat? They pray. And the prayer is recorded for us. And let's uh, read verse 24. Verse 24 says, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. In Matthew 18.20, we read, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. There seems to be a special presence when two or three or more are together in prayer. And perhaps you've experienced this in a small group. Uh, We experience God's presence as individuals. We are taught to pray. We are taught to pray continually. And so we pray individually to God, and we sense God's presence. But uh, in Scripture, we're reading that we experience a special presence when we're praying together with other believers. And uh, let me remind us, when we pray in this service, we are not doing so just because that's what you do in church. You quickly say a prayer. Uh, Rather, prayer is a crucial part of our service. Uh, Perhaps it should be the thing that we anticipate the most as we're driving to church on a Sunday morning. I'm anticipating the public prayer where we all unite our hearts and minds together and we pray to our Father. And as we pray, as a community, we experience a special blessing. It is like we are saying what the person is saying. It's almost like we're thinking 
what the other person is saying. I can remember uh, many years ago, uh, we had uh, Wednesday night Bible studies and prayer meetings here. And so I might have been 9, 10, 11 years old. Uh, and I remember my dad taking me to these midweek studies. And uh, we would take prayer requests up in the auditorium, and then we would break up into the small little Sunday school classes. And uh, there I was sitting, the only kid that was taken to one of these. What was I doing here? Surrounded by a bunch of men, old people, wise people, Ollie, Mel, Orvi. And as, I, uh, as we prayed, we would go around the circle. And nobody said, if you're 10 years old, you get a pass. And so I assumed I had to say something. And so I prayed. I said some things. And Mel went, mm, mm. And then I would say something more, and he didn't say anything. It, he didn't agree with that. I'm going to say something more. He agreed with that. And, and people just amened, and they agreed with what was being said. What was happening in that prayer meeting? People were thinking what the other person was praying. We were uniting our hearts and minds together in prayer, and that's what it's all about as we come together and prayer. And so, again, this young church, they're coming together in prayer. They're ecstatic about receiving the Holy Spirit, but they are nervous about the future. And so, as we look into this prayer, I want us to watch for two things. Number one, the first five verses, the church is expressing what they know about God. And by the way, we don't read too many prayers in the New Testament. So, when we're reading a prayer, we really want to take note. And so the first five verses, uh, they are just expressing what, they, what do we know about God? And we're just going to express that. And the last two verses, they are bringing their requests to God. And so let's pick this up in the middle of verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In prayer, they worship together. And note, that their prayer is not self-centric. They've got challenging days ahead of them. In their prayer, they remind themselves what they know about. What do we know about God? Sovereign Lord, you are the creator of all things. That's what we know about God. God, you are a supreme ruler of all things. Your name is to be praised. My soul longs for you. I'm nothing without you. You know all things. It's all about your glory. That's what we know about God. A.J. Gordon says this, a universe without decree, decree would be as irrational and appalling as would be an express train driving on in the darkness without headlight or engineer and with no certainty that the next moment it might not plunge into the abyss. What does this young church know about God? He is sovereign. He has purpose, a plan, and is in control. God is in the driver's seat. Verse 25. Verse 25. Continuing in this, in this prayer. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? As they are considering the threats of the church, they are reminded that people have tried to thwart God's plans for years. And as we look back over church history, we know that people have tried to destroy the church for a very long time. People today are trying to destroy the church. 
Jesus tells, us, uh, uh, Jesus tells us that not even hell itself can destroy the church. The church is permanent. The church, the local church meeting in, in this building here might not be permanent, but the church globally is permanent. And despite the challenging days ahead, this church could be comforted that nothing is going to come into their life that was too much for them to bear. Even in their su- suffering, Jesus is perfecting them He's settling them. He's establishing them. Verse 26, continuing with the prayer. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against the anointed one. In this prayer, they're quoting scripture, and this comes from Psalms 2, verse 1 and 2, which says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed. This church is asking some questions. Why do we plot against God? This group is putting things into perspective. As small human beings, why are people rising up against the holy God? Do we know anything about anything when we rise up against the holy God? 1 Corinthians 3 18 says this do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age you should become fools so that you may become wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight as it is written he catches the wise in the craftiness and again the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile We can say, I'm well-read, I'm well-traveled, I have power, I have money, I'm wise. Or would the Bible describe me as a fool? Just like we are dependent on the air we breathe, we are dependent on God to illuminate his truth to us. Back to our verse in Psalms, kings rising up against the Lord. Uh, What gain do we have in opposing God? Do we think we're going to win? God is in control. God places rulers in their positions, and he moves authorities around like pawns on a chessboard. In the challenging days ahead, this young church might have lingering questions. Is God really in control? In fact, we might have the same questions today as we scroll through our news feed. Is God really in control? He is. Jesus always wins. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And this is the paradox of our free will and the sovereignty of God. Despite the plans and schemes of humanity, God's purposes prevail. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This young church experiencing threat comes to God in prayer and begins their prayer expressing what they know about God. This is what we know about God. 
Then they humbly share their requests. And let's move on to verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. When we make requests, we're looking to see God, we're looking to see God's promises at work in our situation. Was this young church nervous? Were they anxious? Were, there, were they aware of their tendency to get distracted and discouraged and intimidated? Their request, speak boldly. boldly. And notice the tone of their request. Is it sometimes true that maybe when we're in small group or we're in a place where we're taking prayer requests that we immediately become self-centric? What request can I make? What request can I put out in the table that would make my life more comfortable? What request can I make that, uh, that would help fulfill my dreams and my plans? Not for this church. Rather, they know that God's the supreme one. He's in control. All of this exists for his glory, and they want to see the name of Jesus exalted. Their prayer is for greater impact. They want to be more bold for Christ. They are praying that in their fear, in their confusion, in their self-centeredness, in their anxiety, in their despair, in their worries, they're praying that all that will be taken away so that they will be living for the glory of God. And notice that they aren't reducing God to an errand boy. Uh, You get me this, you get me that. Rather, they want this persecution that they are experiencing to be an opportunity for good. They want God to be involved. They want to be God's messengers. They are praying for courage. Verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. May Jesus do great things. Peter and John had not healed the man. They were the errand boys. They were the messengers. They were the hands and feet. Jesus was the healer. It's all about Jesus. Little side note. When we pray, why do we end our prayers in Jesus' name? Why don't we say warm regards, sincerely, have a nice day. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are acknowledging that we have access to God because of Jesus. And we are also acknowledging that the power of the prayer comes from Jesus. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This young church experienced a special, special presence of God that day. They were filled with courage, not because they saw something or heard something motivational that was going to get them excited for a couple of hours. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were experiencing his power. As I was considering this prayer this past week, I was thinking of the game Whack-A-Mole. And perhaps you've played it before. You're, you've got a little club that's hooked up to a, a little table. Maybe you've got a little platform or a little plywood. And uh, you press the start button, and there's holes in this table, and uh, moles start to pop up through the holes. And with this club, you've got to hit that mole before it disappears again. Whack-a-mole. And so as I was thinking, I was thinking, the authorities probably felt like this was one big whack-a-mole game. 
you have Jesus entering the scene and he's saying things and he's doing things that are creating a stir. And so the authorities pull out their club. They need to silence Jesus. They watch what he says and they try to trap him in his words. They watch what he does and they try to trap him in his actions. And finally, they get so frustrated, they can't seem to silence him. They get a group of people with clubs and they arrest him. They bring him back. They beat his back. They beat a crown of thorns into his head. They beat nails into his feet. They beat nails into his hands. They put him on a cross. They beat a spear into his side, and Jesus dies. And you can see the authorities looking at this table. Day one, silence. No more. Day two, silence. Day three, the body's gone. There's people that are telling other people that they have seen a risen Jesus. Day four, day five, all the way to day 40, we've got pockets of people who are saying that they've seen Jesus. This plywood is starting to rumble. And then the Holy Spirit comes in a very dramatic way. And now we've got Peter and John who heal somebody in Jesus' name. Starting to pop up. And now he speaks. And thousands of people get saved. We went from silence to thousands of moles popping up everywhere. They're everywhere. What are we going to do to control all of this? We'll give them threats. Jesus was not a mole. He claimed he was God because he was God. And when people, when people came to Christ, they weren't moles. They were children of God. They were saved. They were experiencing forgiveness of sins, new life, and they were committed to following Jesus together. As individuals, they were experiencing harmony with God, and together they experienced a radical community. They served together, they prayed together, and as they united together with Christ, they were filled with great boldness and courage to follow Christ. Jesus was present in their lives. <clears throat> in verse 27 and 30, <clears throat> Jesus. Jesus is referred to as the Holy Servant. It's through him, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have access to God. He serves us with his presence. Jesus, the Holy Servant, activates his activities through us. And we, as we wrap up, what's our default? <clears throat> the other day I was getting, uh, I noticed I wasn't getting notifications through my one app. And so I went into my phone and I found the box that needed to be checked to change the default so that I could get notifications on my app. But what's our default? When we're sitting in the small group and uh, we're, we're praying, uh, after I pray, what's the default? Do I listen to the other prayers like Mel and Ollie around that wooden table? Am I agreeing? Are my thoughts aligning with what they're saying? As we come into church, what's my default when Wayne stands up to pray? Are my thoughts synchronizing with the words that he's saying? Or am I just, this is power nap time. I'm checking out. What's, what's my default as I, uh, what's my default in my individual prayer life? Um, do we ever think that prayer is a luxury for those who aren't busy doing important things? I'm going to say that again because it's silly listening to it out loud, but I think maybe it goes on in here sometimes. Perhaps 
Is prayer a luxury for those who aren't busy with important things? Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I'm going to ask the music team to, to come. And uh, as they come, I, wa- I just want to remind ourselves that sometimes we experience a restless soul. And in those moments, it might even be this afternoon, uh, we've got this restless soul and we think what, what, I, what my soul really needs is another trip to the fridge. What it needs is just another few moments of scrolling on my screen. What it needs is this shiny item over here. It needs this experience over here, this accolade over here. The psalmist knew better. My soul longs for the Lord. Let's unite our soul and hearts together and sing to him. In Jesus' name, let's unite our hearts and minds in Christ in prayer. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And all of God's people who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated.